if you are someone who feels stuck, when we have low self-worth, it actually often shows up and that we're stuck. And we believe and tell ourselves stories like, oh, I just need more experience or I need to put in more reps. When, you know, often deep down inside underneath it all, we actually are stuck because we may not believe we're worthy of the thing actually happening. We will sabotage things that we do not believe we are worthy of, and we won't know why we sabotaged it. Uh, and then very common for, for especially high achievers, you'll go for the thing, you'll put yourself out there and you'll make it happen. You'll accomplish it. You'll put the book out into the world. You'll, you'll crush your sales goal. You'll launch the business. You'll, you know, hit that fitness and weight loss goal or that six pack abs or whatever it might be. But then you arrive at it still feeling like something's missing, still feeling not fulfilled, still feeling like it's not enough, still feeling like you're not enough. And it's a, uh, it is a perpetual cycle that leads to nowhere. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the show, the Chase Travis Live Show here, where I sit down with people that are amazing, like the one and only Jamie Kern Lima, who's our guest today. Very, very excited to have her back on the show. She's been on the show before as a guest when she launched her book called Believe It, which was an amazing book about how to believe in yourself. If Jamie's name is ringing a bell in your head, it's because she built one of the most impressive cosmetic empires, a company called It Cosmetics that she sold for a billion dollars and change. That's right, billion with a B. She was on the show previously, articulated a little bit about her journey and believing in herself. Her new book, which we talk about a lot today, is called Worthy, How to Believe You Are Enough and Transform Your Life because she points out in this show and uh, very brilliantly in the book that there is a, a very significant difference between confidence and self-worth. And she has pinpointed this as a real problem for a lot of us. We can get stuff done in the world, but it caps us. We have a ceiling when we don't have self-worth that matches our confidence. We have a ceiling of what's possible with this one precious life. Our conversation is wide ranging. Jamie is just an absolute treat. A, gem of a human, so kind, thoughtful, and articulate. She's also been a Denny's waitress, a struggling entrepreneur, and has talks about living a life of rejection. When you listen to her share her stories today, all you will hear is authenticity, um, belief, trust, and a desire to help you and me together succeed in this one precious life. So yours truly and Jamie Kern Lima, enjoy the show. It is a doozy. Jamie, you're back. Thank you so much for being on the show again. Congrats on the new latest work. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here, Chase. Excited for this episode. Yes. It adds so much value. I can't wait. Thank you for having me. Happy to, ha happy to have you. And speaking of value, congrats on the new book. It is very, very powerful. And yet, before we dive into your latest work, which you called to earlier, uh, can I say, can I share how proud sure. you told me? Sure. <laughs> like, greatest thing you've created, most valuable piece of information, most important thing. What was your, like your greatest creation or something? You yeah, said? yeah. I feel like it's the greatest work of my life. Yeah, I wow. feel like you know when you feel in alignment with your assignment, yes. <laughs> like why you are here. Like this is yeah. I'm so excited and just 
and just also honored to, to, to share this with everyone. So thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well for the handful of people who might not be familiar with you or your work, I would love to invite you to start off by just giving us a little bit of the the story. Give us the Jamie Kern Lima story. Yeah, a little bit of the backstory. I, I think I think when when someone Googles me or sees my story in the press, it's usually Denny's waitress builds billion dollar company. Uh, you know, I I created a business in my living room. I went through years and years and years and years and years of rejections. Uh, and uh, it was really honestly a journey of learning to believe in my ideas, when it seemed like no one else did <laughs> believe in the things I was creating and this feeling of like calling and mission I had in my heart. And, and, uh, in that process, you know, building it to what became over a thousand employees. And then, uh, in 2016, I sold the company to L'Oreal for $1.2 billion cash. And they made me the first woman to hold a CEO title, uh, in their 107 year history of any brand. Um, and that was a really beautiful experience. I gave them my word I would stay for three years, and um, we doubled the size of the business in the first two years post acquisition. And uh, you know, when I stepped away, I wrote my first ever book, which was called "Believe It," which was really yes. my journey of learning to believe in myself. And and now I'm I'm just so honored to to be here with Worthy, which is really the playbook on how. You know, you can believe in you. Um, and uh, and so what I would say is, well, the press always says, you know, Denny's Waitress builds billion dollar company or any of those things. My real story is um, really a girl like who who did not know how to believe in herself for the longest time, but had, you know, big dreams and goals and hopes and these feelings of expression and creation I wanted to offer the world and then trying to learn to believe I was worthy of those things. And, um, and just why I'm so passionate, I guess, to chase about worthy is, is I think whether you are a creator, whether you're putting art into the world, whether you are an author, an entrepreneur, uh, uh, just someone who wants to live your greatest life. Like I really believe our, our self-worth is actually our ceiling uh, to a lot of those things. And that, you know, we so often in life and really in all the areas that, that we don't necessarily become what we want, but we become what we believe we're worthy of. Mm. And so I'm so excited about worthy. Cause I think that, you know, as you and I are talking right now, live 80% of women don't believe they're enough. 73% of men feel inadequate and not enough. Uh, 75% of female executives deal with imposter syndrome. 91% of girls and women don't love their bodies. When you look at all the data, it's like the, the amount of feeling like we are unworthy out there or that we are not enough uh, is the majority of us. And I, I, I believe that when we fundamentally believe we're not enough as who we innately are, uh, that it's a lie. <laughs> and it's a lie that impacts so many areas of our life. And, and for me, I'm kind of on this just passionate mission. It's a lie I believe way too long my entire life. Uh, it was just a couple of years ago, I actually realized that I had done a lot of things that built self-confidence, uh, but that that is very different than self-worth. And I was sabotaging things in my life that I didn't believe I was worthy of, even though I was accomplishing a whole lot that the world thought was really cool. And I just realized that our self-worth, it's really the one thing that 
impacts almost everything. Um, whether someone is an artist, a creator, an entrepreneur, or just someone who wants to actually show up in this world as who they authentically are and be okay if not everyone gets it uh, and be okay if not everyone gets you, um, but is going to bravely, boldly decide to embrace who you fully are you know, in this one life anyways. And so, yeah, I'm excited. So basically for these, for everyone who has some self-doubt to destroy and a destiny to fulfill. I love that phrase. Uh, I caught it in the book. Also, the the notion, you know, especially in part two of the book, where you talk about all these the the lie that we tell ourselves, and mm. then the truth of what really is. Before we get to that, though, you said something in your your backstory there about there was a moment. You said it until a few years ago, at a time where I actually started to believe and be to believe that I was worthy, despite having success despite knowing intellectually that there was a moment, a pivot, what changed from before you knew to after you knew? Tell me a little bit about that. Moment. Yeah. This one thing. Oh my gosh. If everyone listening just takes away this one thing, uh, it's completely changed my life. So I, um, you know, there is such a big difference between self-confidence and self-worth. I always thought they were the same. And I also thought, who cares what the difference is? <laughs> Until I realized it was actually impacting every single area of my life. Uh, because so many of us, we believe what we need is more self-confidence, but what we actually need is more self-worth. And this moment that I realized all of this um, was really, really big. And so just to break it down for, for a second, you know, self-confidence, uh, while it's a deeply internal trait, is so much based on the external. It's, you know, based on how we assess our skills and abilities, our willingness to try and go for it, uh, how we feel we stack up and measure and compare to others, how much of the world's definition of success we think that we have. And, you know, there's studies that show the boxer who wins the fight is automatically 30% more confident. And our confidence is fragile and it's volatile and it fluctuates. And it's super important. It's super important, right? Our entire life is building our confidence our whole life along with growing and, you know, contributing to something greater than ourselves. Those things are all really, really important. Uh, but, uh, but they're very different than self-worth. And, we often learn from the time we're little through TV commercials, through well-intended friends and family, through all the things around us, that if we could just get the things that build more self-confidence, then we'll be happy. And for a lot of us, you know, maybe, you know, for the person listening to you and I right now, they can think about this in their life, about one thing that maybe you thought like, oh my gosh, if I get that thing one day, then all my problems are going to be solved. I'm going to be made in the shade. Then I'm going to be fulfilled and happy. And for some of us, you know, that might be like, oh, once I hit a certain level in my business, or once my art is celebrated by the world, or once I get six pack abs, um, or once I get married and have kids, or I get that dream car, or like that certain number in the bank account. And for a lot of us, we work so hard, so, so, so hard, you know, for months or years or decades. And then a lot of us have actually gotten one of those things that we thought 
would solve all of our problems and only to arrive at it, being happy for a while. And then before we know it, we're back to feeling like something's missing, like it's not enough, like we're not enough. And so our solution is usually, oh, I've just got to level up to the, I've got to work harder. I've got to hustle hard. I've got the next level, the next level. And this is beautiful. And the pursuit of those things in our life is so important because we're building self-confidence. We're often growing, we're often contributing, and that's all part of fulfillment in life. But no matter how much we achieve, none of that actually builds self-worth, which is different. It builds a whole lot of self-confidence. Those things we achieve, the levels we level up to, the accomplishments we have, the things the world celebrates, but none of it builds self-worth. Self-worth is the deep internal knowing and belief that you are worthy of love and belonging exactly as you are, exactly as you are, not as your past mistakes and failures and regrets, not as your future successes or stuff happening, but just innately exactly as you are. And, and what's so tricky is that our self-worth actually becomes our ceiling. And the way I describe it um, in, in Worthy is that your self-confidence is, is like this house you're building in life with all the rooms and, and, and the art and the things on the wall. And, but your self-worth is the foundation beneath that house. And your house will only ever be as secure uh, as that foundation beneath it. And with self-worth, a lot of people say, well, okay, but if I, especially ambitious people, um, like, okay, well, if I learn to believe I'm enough as who I am, like, will I lose my edge? Will I lose my ambition? It's like, oh no, actually it's the opposite. Like the stronger, the higher your level of self-worth, you become more ambitious and more fearless because you know, oh, even if I go for the thing, if I put my art out there, my creations out there, my ideas, if I launch the business, if I tell that person I want to be more than just friends, if you go for it, you might fall flat on your face and fail miserably. And it might like shake your confidence, but it cannot touch your self-worth which is different. And self-worth is, is an identity. Like, like self-confidence is almost, you know, how we believe our abilities are as a person and self-worth is our value as a person. And what a lot of people, um, if they're listening to me right now and they're like, okay, how do I know? (laughs) How do I know if this is a thing for me? Right? Because Sometimes we hear a word like worthy, the name of the book is worthy. And we might think, oh, is that for people that are just feeling broken or down? It's like, oh, actually, often the people who are really ambitious have a lot of issues underneath where they don't feel like they're enough. They feel perpetually unfulfilled. And so they're trying to, like for me, most of my life, I believe the lie, if I could just achieve enough, then I'll finally feel enough. And after spending decades achieving a whole lot of enough uh, and still not feeling like I was enough and still not actually truly feeling fulfilled in the pursuits I was putting out there, uh, I learned the hard way with a huge realization, back to your question, uh, on, on like what the difference is between these two and the fact that, oh, wow, I'm actually a really self-confident person 
but deep down inside, I actually do not believe I'm enough. And here's the three ways this typically shows up. And then I can share that moment if you want me to, um, for, for every person listening right now, uh, if you are someone who feels stuck, like you just feel stuck when we have low self-worth, it actually often shows up and that we're stuck and we believe and tell ourselves stories like, oh, I just need more experience or I need to put in more reps or, you know, any of these things when, you know, often deep down inside underneath it all, we actually are stuck because we may not believe we're worthy of the thing actually happening. And so, for example, if we you know, know that we have a book inside of us and we don't know why we're not writing it. Or, you know, we want to find a life partner, but we're not getting on the dating app and we're not going out socializing and we're sitting at home scrolling Instagram for eight hours. Um, we will, we will stay stuck in life often when deep down inside, we don't actually believe we're worthy of the thing happening. Uh, low to medium self-worth, what that often looks like is we'll actually go for the thing. Like we'll put ourselves out there. We'll go for it, but we'll hit a ceiling. We'll hit a ceiling. Like we'll want our business. We'll have this dream of having a six figure business, but we keep hitting a ceiling at four or five figures. And we don't know why, or, or the example of the life partner, we want a life partner. We go out there, we put ourselves out there. We meet someone. They're amazing. And and we don't know why we just decide we're not attracted to them and we put them in the friend zone. We will sabotage things that we do not believe we are worthy of and we won't know why we sabotaged it. Uh, and then very common for, for especially high achievers um, is, is the, the third most common way, which is if you have low to medium or even high self-worth will often, but not quite super high. You don't quite believe you're enough. You'll go for the thing. You'll put yourself out there and you'll make it happen. You'll accomplish it. You'll put the book out into the world. You'll, you'll crush your sales goal. You'll launch the business. You'll, you know, hit that fitness and weight loss goal or that six pack abs or whatever it might be. But then you arrive at it still feeling like something's missing, still feeling not fulfilled, still feeling like it's not enough, still feeling like you're not enough. And it's a, uh, it is a perpetual cycle that leads to nowhere. And so, uh, learning to fundamentally build your self-worth and believe you are worthy exactly as you are. And and how I wrote the book is, you know, there's over 20 tools to to build self-worth and a big section that you mentioned earlier is, is the lies. And, you know, this is not a book about, needing to learn all these things. It's a book about how do you unlearn the lies that, that lead to self-doubt and sort of ignite the truths that wake up worthiness. Um, and there was the moment that you asked, (laughs) the moment, um, that you asked about where this was just a huge aha moment for me in my life. Um, and it all started with me meeting my childhood hero, Um, so when I was a little girl growing up, I was home alone a lot. Um, uh, my parents worked a lot and I was always sort of sitting in my living room. A lot of my memories are sitting in my living room, watching Oprah on television and just like seeing all these different people's stories from around the world and different experiences and life experiences. And I remember her sharing stuff so vulnerably that helped 
me feel less alone and more enough. And I had this dream, like one day I am going to, um, you know, go into that profession. I'm going to share other people's stories with the world. I'm going to have a show and I'm going to meet Oprah. It's like my whole life, right? Meanwhile, I'm this little girl sitting in a suburb of Washington state who there was no reason to believe that would happen, but I had this knowing that kind of feeling it would happen. And I actually dared to believe that it would. And fast forward 39 years, 39 years later. So patient. Now, <laughs> yeah. 39 years later, I'm at this place in my life where I'm actually super self-confident. Um, I had worked so hard building my business and doing things really, really differently uh, in, in, the, in this industry that, that I was in and, and putting my creations out there in the world. And, you know, I was giving back tens of millions of dollars to women, women facing the effects of cancer and, you know, growing every day, so proud of all this stuff. So I was very, very self-confident. But what I did not realize was I actually did not have a lot of self-worth. And when we're really confident, we could be crushing it in some areas of our life and we will sabotage others. We might be crushing it at work, but like not in our health and fitness or we're sabotaging our marriage or we're, you know what I'm saying? Or we could be doing so great and building as friendships as an adult, but we don't know why we're stuck and not putting our art or our offerings out into the world. And so- but I didn't know any of this at the time. I just knew I was about to meet my childhood hero. Uh, so I was at an event uh, about to turn 40. It's a very long story, but I got this opportunity to meet Oprah. And after I met her in her green room, I then, it was at this huge event. I then went and sat in the audience and rehearsed everything I wish I had said <laughs> and didn't say and regretted not saying all the things. And I eventually wrote this long email with everything I wish I had said to her. And now what I know is for an email to get to Oprah, it is one in a billion. Because first of all, uh, the only contact I had, which was a miracle, was my assistant had in a contact to her, her assistant, her chief of staff. So I sent the email and I know, I know just from getting, you know, tens of thousands of things a week, I know how hard it is to see, to see everything. And anyhow, long story short, her assistant did see it, which is one in a billion. And she shared it with her. And then it was one in a billion that she read it. And then it was one in a billion. What happened next, which was that she invited me to her house for lunch. So now imagine this is my childhood hero. <laughs> I'm very confident, Chase. I'm very confident. I you know, by what the world tells me should make me feel enough. Yeah. I'm very confident. Uh, I go to her house for lunch. We have a three hour lunch. So we sit at her table, just me and her for three hours. And I'm very introverted normally, but I was talking a lot. Like it went so good. Like everything was so great. And at the very end of the lunch, she handed me her cell phone number. She wrote down her cell phone number on a piece of paper and handed it to me and said, uh, you can call me anytime. Call me anytime. And so I was trying to be very cool. You know, I'm like, absolutely. Thank you. You know, all the things. I left her home and I did not call her for four years. For four years, I did not call her. This is my hero, like my childhood. I did not call her for four years. And in that four-year window, I told myself stories like, oh, I just need the perfect thing to say. 
Like once I think of the perfect thing to say, then I'm going to call her or, oh, people probably want something from her. You know, I'm going to prove I don't like everyone wants to get a car or whatever. Like I'm going to prove I don't need anything. Like I, I'm, you know, I was telling myself all these stories on why I wasn't calling her four years goes by. And I realized one day it hit me just like a ton of bricks out of the blue, like this huge aha moment that the real reason I did not call her for four years was because deep down inside, I didn't believe I was worthy of being her friend. That was the truth. I did not believe I was worthy of being her friend. And this is what low self-worth will do, by the way. And in that moment, right? Because remember, I was really confident. I had a lot of self-confidence, but I did not have a lot of self-worth. And I remember in that moment, like literally imagining myself turning down the volume on my own self-doubt on the thoughts of my, and then turning up the volume on that knowing in my soul that knows I am a kick-ass friend. Like I am such a good friend, like Oprah or anyone else would be lucky to have me as a friend. I know that to be true, right? And the things we know to be true in our soul, which includes that every single person listening to you and I right now are fully worthy exactly as they are. We know that to be true in our soul. But we live this entire life where we learn these lies that tell us we're not enough, that we don't have anything special to offer, that if we're who we truly are, we won't be loved. All of that, right? All these lies. And I had let my uh, self-doubt talk me into this idea that I am unworthy of being her friend. And that is the day that I picked up the phone and called her. Uh, That is the day that I became obsessed with studying self-worth. That was only three years ago. (laughs) And it took me like all of those decades of not understanding that the reason I spent most of my life thinking I wasn't enough. And if I could just achieve enough, if I could just make enough people happy, right? Exactly. Then I would finally feel enough. And that is a lie. And, and here's the thing is that building self-worth is so important because It does not, it just accelerates your own ambition and everything else. It's just the big differences in the pursuits of putting your ideas and your art and your creativity and the business you want to, all of the things and the pursuit of all the things that you feel like you're on this earth to to put out there and to offer and, and to inspire and to serve and to create and to ideate in the pursuit of all those things. You have to believe fundamentally that you are enough in order to feel fulfilled in all of them. Otherwise, you arrive at every new goal, at every new milestone, at every new accomplishment, still bringing you with you, which is why nothing changes. It's why, right? We see you still bring you with you. And that is why we see lotto winners win the lotto and then return back to the lose everything, right? It's why people can win the gold medal or land on the moon or any of these other things or become super famous in Hollywood or super famous online. And then everyone sits back and goes, why are they sabotaging their whole life? And it's because our achievements are an important part of our growth and contribution and fulfillment and and the expression of who we are. Uh, But no achievement can make you feel enough as at an identity level, at a core level. Uh, and you 
you cannot out succeed your self-worth. Also, you cannot, I mean, none of it, right? And so self-worth, the one thing that changes everything. Um, yeah. It's like a catapult, right? It's, um, I like the analogy of the foundation that you're building the house on. It doesn't matter how tricked the house is, if the foundation is not solid enough. So let's juxtapose some of the the feelings that you had. I'm going to paint this as a light bulb moment, and I'm guessing it was like it was like a hundred little lights turning on over a long period of time. But let's just pretend mm-hmm. it was a light bulb moment. You went from not feeling worthy to feeling worthy. Mm. What what are the fundamental differences in how you show up in what you say, what what was the self-talk highlight Mm -hmm. some of the contrast for us, the, the, what it sounds like in your head when you're not enough in your own mind and when you are. Yes. So, and, and I should say to that, that while that moment was really, really pivotal, uh, what I believe to be true is that it's a lifelong journey. Like they, every single day, right. I think probably every person listening, joining us right now can relate to this every single day. We get messages that tell us we are not enough or that we don't belong or that we don't have what it takes or that, you know, and, and by the way, most of the time we're the ones telling ourselves these messages. Uh, and so the tools in worthy for me, it's a lifelong journey of learning to apply these. And also when I became obsessed with self-worth, when I realized, oh, wow, I just sabotaged a lifelong dream <laughs> because I didn't feel I was worthy of it. And I started deep diving into, okay, well, how is it that I built a billion dollar business? Where were the parts in me that believed I was worthy of that? And how did I get to that, right? Because the days I was a Denny's waitress, I remember waitressing tables. I remember having that little whisper of like, you could run this restaurant, that little whisper. But instantly my thoughts were like, oh, no one in your family has ever done anything like people like things like that don't happen to people like you. You're unqualified. You don't have what it takes, you know, et cetera. And I started thinking and, and just obsessing with what are, what are those tools that along the way have helped me go from feeling unworthy to worthy in, in all different areas. And so to, to kind of break down a couple of them, because again, here's the thing, there's probably people listening right now who they feel worthy of taking care of their health and fitness but they do not know why they're not sharing their art with the world, yeah. right? Or, or it could be the exact opposite. And so, you know, when I look back, for example, uh, at those moments you're talking about and the, the granularity of how do you go from not believing you are to believing you are. So uh, in building a cosmetics, for example, right? I, I, um, I was working in what I thought was my dream job as I, I as I just shared actually, because I was going to pursue my whole life launching a show. And so I did all the jobs to try and get there, right? Bag groceries in the grocery store and sold popcorn in the swap meet and waitress to Denny's, did all the jobs to eventually go to school. Eventually, uh, uh, it was the first in my family to ever go to school. And then eventually was in my dream job. And I was, you know, worked my way at markets, was anchoring the news. And, uh, and I have a skin condition called rosacea which there's no cure for. And it's, it varies in severity for different people. And for me, I'd gone to dermatologists, tried all the stuff, nothing would work. 
And one day I was anchoring the news live in front of millions of people. Uh, and, uh, and I heard in my earpiece from the producer, there's something on your face. There's something on your face. You need to wipe it off. You need to wipe it. Off. And I knew there was nothing I could wipe off. I knew it was the, the makeup breaking up uh, on, on my skin, almost like the way desert clay cracks and this bright red coming through. And I entered in that moment, entered this big season of what felt like setback in my life and self-doubt. I'd be live on the air, you know, trying to convey stories and messages to viewers. But in my head, I was thinking thoughts like, am I going to get fired? Or are viewers changing the channel right now? Or am I costing the station ratings? And uh, and in that journey, which by the way, what I believe now, Chase, I believe that so often in life, our setbacks um, are actually setups for what we're called to do. We just don't know it at the time. They just usually suck at the time. God, it's so and hard at the time. It's so hard. It's so at the time. hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Um, and uh, and but I remember the pursuit of just trying to find something that would some products that would work for this problem I was having. And I remember not being able to. And I remember the moment where I had this idea, this whisper, right? And everyone who's a creator or an entrepreneur or one of the brave ones willing to put their ideas and their offerings out into the world will often identify with this whisper where you're like, what if I could do that? What if this, this idea, what if I could create that? And I remember this moment where I had this like, well, wait a minute, nothing works for me. What if I figure out how to make something that works for me? I bet it'll help a whole lot of people. And I remember for the longest time having that feeling, that knowing, that gut feeling uh, where I thought, what if I do this? But then my head was talking me out of it. My head was like, oh, but you're unqualified, right? You know, nobody in the beauty industry, you uh, you got no money, <laughs> like all, plus you're in your dream job, like all those things. And I lived in this space between my knowing or my soul or my gut telling me one thing and my head talking me out of it and telling me no and all the reasons why it would never work and it would never succeed. And when I look back at this moment, I was living in this place between having and knowing, but then telling myself all the no's. And I talk about this a lot in Worthy uh, as one of many tools, but a lot of us, whether we're putting our businesses out there and going, why aren't they getting any traction? Why aren't things happening like I hoped it would, you know, or, or, or there's people telling us no, and they don't believe in what we're doing, or we're the ones telling ourselves no. I believe we always live in this place between our knowing and all the no's around us and in our head. And I believe our businesses, our creations, our offerings, our relationships, our everything in our life comes down often to which one we listen to. Do we listen to our knowing or all the no's? Do we listen to the no's or our knowing? And and I believe our knowings where our soul lives. And I think we, so many of us live in our heads and make decisions out of that place. And tuning into your knowing, I think, and building your intuition is so, so, so important um, in this journey, in this pursuit of, of learning to believe you're worthy. And, and when I learned to tune into that knowing and trust it, that is the moment I decided to launch the business. And then here's what happened. Right. A lot of people know the outcome. Oh, wow. It turned in this huge, successful business. 
but it was the journey where there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of no's. And I all of a sudden entered, you know, I quit my dream job, went all in on this idea. And then it was over three years before I could afford to pay myself a single penny. And all of these retailers, like, like the big beauty retailers, the department stores, QVC on television, all of them that I was putting on a pedestal thinking if they just believed in my product, then it's going to be huge. All of them were telling me no for years. I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds of no's. And when I look back at this, so many of us let one no or five no's or 20 no's convince us that we don't have what it takes, that our gut or our knowing must have been wrong, that somehow their doubt about us is some indication of our potential. And when I look back um, uh, at how did I learn to believe I was worthy of actually still going, of actually, you know, eventually building this idea into what became a billion dollar company. One of the tools I talk in the book, because this isn't, this book is really about what are the tools you can apply to your life right now on, on how to truly uh, build unshakable self-worth. And part of these is looking back on how did I actually do that from a granular level and what happened? So there's a chapter in the book, chapter two, called When You Change Your Relationship with Rejection, You Change Your Entire Life. And this was actually its own book, but I didn't, you'll know this as an author. I did not want to wait two and a half more years to put this book out there. So I took this, when you change your relationship with rejection, you change your entire life. And I put it in to worthy as chapter two, um, because I just couldn't wait because this is so important. This is so, so, so important. When you change your relationship with rejection, you change your entire life because here's what happens. A lot of us live from this place of fear, of rejection, fear of failure, right? Or we've had past rejections and failures. And when we get rejected or fail at something, it shakes our confidence. But when we let it take root to the point where we think we're a reject or we're a failure, and a lot of us are doing this, especially based on it could be rejections or failures or things that happened in our childhood or at, in a sporting event on the playground or in something in our life where we totally mess the whole thing up, whatever it is, you know, we've let it, let it take root and often don't realize this. And it, and it affects our self-worth at a self-worth level when we actually deep down inside believe we're a failure. And, uh, and so this chapter is so important and one of many tools in the book. Um, but when you talk about the moments of how did it shift for you to believe you're worthy, I talk about how when you change your relationship with rejection and failure, you change your entire life. And I go through the four R's. There's a whole framework in this chapter on how to do that in your life right now, because in building it cosmetics and looking at like, how did I get through hundreds and hundreds of people telling me no? And I know for every artist, for every creator, for every entrepreneur, this is a real thing. And a lot of people hide it because everyone's social media looks like they're crushing it. And like, you know, it must just be me. And people feel alone in this or they feel like it's just them. And so, you know, I remember going through uh, multiple years of rejections and there was one moment 
where I, and I had this vision, Chase, I had this vision, this knowing, this knowing that one day we will be on QVC. And I just could imagine showing my bright red rosacea, proving the product was good. I imagine putting all different types of models and trying to shift the definition of beauty in the beauty industry. Cause historically it was like all Photoshopped and unrealistic. And I just had this vision. Well, what if you put every age and shape and size and skin tone and skin challenge and I had this whole vision, but everyone was saying it would never work. And but I just had this knowing, this knowing, I just want to say this for any artist or creator entrepreneur today who has this knowing, if you know you're supposed to be doing what you're doing, that is what you've got to lean on despite the no's all around you. And I remember one moment after years of just all these rejections, um, I'd finally gotten the head of beauty on the phone from QVC. And it was one of the most painful no's ever. It was one of those no's where it wasn't like, Oh, come back later. It was like, no, like <laughs> uh, wishing you. He says to me, you're not the right fit. It's, he said, I met with all the buyers. It's unanimous. Um, you're not the right fit for QVC or for our customers. He was lovely, by the way. And what I know is rejection is never personal. It just means someone thinks you're not going to make the money. <laughs> it's pretty much what it means. And and uh, which, by the way, you know this, but we went on to build the biggest beauty brand in QVC's history. <laughs> right. um, but before that happens, so we don't know these things are going to happen in our life. We just know everyone's telling us no and we're not the right fit and it's not going to work out. And that particular day, I was literally crying under my covers, not knowing how our business was going to make it. We were teetering, teetering on bankruptcy for a long time. And I, uh, my whole life, I had you know, always believed, or I guess I should say the meaning I had attached to rejection and failure was that it's just proof I'm not enough. And I always kind of, that was a thing. And, and just to um, quickly take just everyone listening with us right now, um, if you just ask this question in case this adds value uh, in your life right now, if you imagine yourself getting rejected or failing at something, um, what's the first thought that goes through your head? This is for everyone listening. Actually, Chase, I'll ask you to, without thinking about it, like when you fail at something or get rejected, what's the first thought that goes through your head? They don't know. Oh, that's good. Okay, that's good. See, that's an empowering one. That's an empowering thought. All right, I'll take it. Well, I've read the book, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let me, so I, I was in a room filled with CEOs like once and I asked this question. Chase, people started crying. Like, okay, so for, for the person listening, right? Just when you put yourself in that situation, uh, when you fail or get rejected and you think of the first thought you have for me, most of my life is, yep, there's proof I'm not enough. When I asked this to a room of CEOs, the answers that started coming out were things like, I'm a loser, I'm stupid, I shouldn't have even tried. Who'd I think, who'd I think I am? Like all of these things. And for the person listening to you and I right now, if it is an empowering thing, like they don't, they just don't know, that is genius. Like that, that makes me so excited for most of us without thinking about it. Our thought is something that's disempowering. Um, and, uh, and what I realized is every time I had was getting rejections, I always just thought it was proof. I'm not enough. And one day, that day that uh, his name's Alan Burke, he gave me that. He said, you're not the right fit for QVC or our customers. 
He now, by the way, is one of my dearest friends, greatest mentors. Oh, that's um, a great full circle right there. That's greatest so mentors. And after he'd been there decades at QVC, by the way, after we launched on QVC, he became one of my greatest mentors. And he eventually retired. And then we hired him in a paid <laughs> position on our advisory board. So the guy that rejected me was now working for me. And to this day, one of my just dearest friends and mentors. Um, but at the time, at the time, it was it was a real painful no. And I remember crying under my, my covers. Uh, and that day, Chase, I Googled every single entrepreneur a thought leader, person who had moved humanity forward, who had changed the world. I started reading all their stories. And what I realized is every single one of them, every single one of them has gone through countless rejections and failures. They're just the brave ones willing to keep going anyways. And that day I wrote down in my journal, right? Rejection uh, does not mean I'm not enough. Rejection means this is a victory. I just got rejected. It means I'm one of the brave ones willing to go for it. Like, I'm not going to sit my life on the sidelines, living in regret, watching everyone else go for it. Like, okay, I got rejected. That's a reminder. I'm one of the brave ones willing to go for it. And, And I wrote it down and I literally made the decision that day while crying under my covers that every time I'm going to hear another no, I know my default is going to go to, yep, there's proof I'm not enough, but I'm going to intercept it and I'm literally going to redefine it in that moment because every single thing in our life is the meaning we attach to it, right? And I made the decision, okay, every rejection, I am going to catch myself defaulting to I'm not enough, but I'm going to be like instantly because I believe it to be true. I believe it is true that I am one of the brave ones willing to go for it and that rejection is a reminder of that. And then I started building this toolbox, this toolbox of new definitions that I believe to be true, that I committed to believing every time. Because as human beings, it's like we're wired to avoid pain at all costs. That's why a lot of us will not go to the gym, even though we know the reward will be great in our health. We just do not want to get on the treadmill. Like we will avoid pain at all costs. And so when we're associating so much pain with the fear of rejection or failure, we won't go for it. We'll stay stuck or worse. We'll again, let it take root and think that we're, we're failure or rejection or we're a reject. So, so I started amassing this toolbox of definitions it can't just be ones that sound good, right? It has to be ones you truly believe. So for me, rejection is God's protection. Um, rejection means I'm putting in the reps and one step closer to that, you know, to that. Yes. Like I just started amassing these definitions and I committed to applying them. And so in worthy, uh, in chapter two, I take everyone through the four R's. The first one is reveal, which is reveal your current definition, uh, of rejection. So for me, it's always been, I'm not enough for you. It's they just don't know. Uh, for the person listening, that's right? I got to qualify this, Jamie. Yes. This is like I'm, I'm telling you, that's like 20 years of work to come up with that. Yeah, one. Okay. but it's beautiful. You should because you know that saying, "Success leaves clues." Yeah. Like, look at Chase Jarvis. It is not an accident. You are successful, and this is what so. This is what I'm so excited about this book for because 
you know, so many of us, we're letting these things hold us back because we haven't done the 20 years of work or, or we don't know some of these things or how they impact our lives. And so like for the one person just listening to you and I right now, like if their first thought was, oh yeah, I'm not enough, or there's proof I'm not enough, or I'm a failure. I don't have what it takes. I'm inadequate. For most of us, that's what it is. And that means that we are assigning, that is your current definition that we just revealed. Yep. And that's the meaning you're assigning to rejection and failure. And for a lot of us, it's so painful. And so the second R is to redefine, right? And, and, and redefine it into new definitions that you know to be true. And so for me, some of those are, uh, oh, this rejection is a victory. It means I'm one of the brave ones willing to go for it. Um, or rejection is, you know, the universe's protection. Rejection is God's protection. Rejection me is redirection. Rejection means I'm one of the, you know, I'm, I'm putting in the reps. I'm going to be stronger to be able to carry the weight of my success when it happens. Um, the third R is the most powerful. It's my favorite, uh, uh, my favorite thing ever. And it's uh, revisit. Okay. And when I shared how so many of us have past rejections or failures that we've let and taken root, sometimes at identity level, a lot of us don't realize that, okay, the 10 times I tried to put my art out there and it failed, or the time I went for the business and I, I asked for friends and family's money and I lost it. The times that I, you know, told that person, like, do you want to be more than just friends? And they're like, uh-uh, <laughs> like all these, there's stories, right. That we all go through. And what we don't realize is we often let those past rejections and failures like stick to us or just almost like lead balloons on our wings when we're trying to fly and we don't realize that they're impacting us. And so one of my favorite things to do that's actually changed not only my self-worth fundamentally and my at an identity level, but also just it has helped me become fearless over rejection and failure. Chase, I got a lot of issues in my life, but fear of rejection and failure is not one of them. I am so fearless. I love it. Right. And we, we all get rejections and failures every day. Sometimes it looks like we're not invited to the thing and we don't know why. Sometimes it looks like we just applied for the job. We wanted it so bad and they didn't see our value. Or it looks like somebody not loving us the way we need to be led back. And we wanted the relationship to work out so bad and it didn't, right? Or the person that pulls the rug out from underneath us or betrays us. And so the third R is to revisit. And this one is huge. And I love revisiting past rejections and failures or even recent ones. And then going through step one and two, going reveal what is the current meaning I'm attaching to that that current definition or the current meaning I'm assigning to that rejection or failure. Cause a lot of us don't realize what that is. And then how do I redefine it? And, uh, and just quickly to share, I, um, you know, I was adopted and grew up as I shared alone a lot in my living room. And I didn't find out I was adopted actually till surprised in my late twenties, but most of growing up, my parents worked all the time. I was alone all the time. And I always felt abandoned um, even though I, I mean, I would not change anything. I love my family, but I realized I had been telling myself this story and, uh, and then later found out I was adopted. So I always kind of had this story about myself without realizing it, that I'm abandoned or unwanted or rejected. And 
it showed up in my life and staying in relationships that were not good for me with people that hurt me because I did not want to abandon them. And then even later as an entrepreneur, like crushing it by the world's definition uh, with over a thousand employees, but I wouldn't, when someone deserved to be fired, like really merited being fired, I wouldn't fire him. One of my biggest weaknesses as a boss, I would hold on to people too long that either created toxicity in the workplace or anything else because I didn't want to abandon them. And when I went through this practice, I literally realized like, oh, uh, I am not abandoned or unwanted. Like I'm chosen. Like, first of all, my birth parents were together one time and never again. I was chosen by my creator to be, to, to come into this world. My birth mom's life would have been way easier had she not had me. She chose to have me. And then my adoptive parents chose to raise me. I am not unwanted. I am chosen and believing that in my soul, revisiting these past rejections, believing that has changed how I am in my business. It's changed how I am in my friendships and my relationships and my self-worth. Um, the last one I sh- I'll share because I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I'm so fired I love up about it. this. Fired <laughs> up. Let's go. I'm so fired up. I just feel in my soul. This is for somebody uh, listening to you and I today because this is my favorite one. I think I'm, I might apply this in my life every day because Ooh. I feel like every day, right? If we're, if we're the brave ones putting our art out there, our ideas out there, our creations out there, our business out there, our soul out there in the world. Woo! Not everyone is going to see its value. And this is one of my favorite ones. I really do apply this to my life almost every day. For the person listening who like that person did not love you back or 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 didn't see your value or the, 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 the thing you put out there fell flat on its face and didn't do well, or you're trying to make a friends as an adult and you keep trying to get that person to like you and they do, do not, they just do not. <laughs> and you don't know why. It, there's so many scenarios where this stuff happens. And I will look at every one of those. And one of my favorite definitions is I will literally imagine God saying to me, oh, you weren't rejected. I hid your value from them because they're not assigned to your destiny. And I'll believe that. Like I believe, and whether someone believes in the universe that's got your back or your, your a particular faith you practice, I believe I believe God will block my value from people who are not assigned to my destiny and believing that because I believe it to be true in my soul. It helps me a become fearless about rejection and failure, but then not let it take root to the, to, to the point where I think I'm a failure or I'm unwanted. And so I go through this whole framework on how to do this in your life. And it's so empowering because a lot of us have let these things take root in our self-worth. It's why, you know, one of the lies in the book that we go into is if I'm me, I won't be loved. Right. And so we like show up as our representative or as the person or the artist or the creator, or the entrepreneur, we think we need to be, uh, to be successful. And every time we show up as someone other than who we are, it chips away at our self-worth. So yeah, that's a lot to share with you, but fourth, fourth R, the fourth R, the fourth R is to revel in the fact that you are now fearless when it comes to embracing rejection and failure. Um, because I'm telling you, whoo, it is the most freeing thing, right? It is the most freeing thing for so many of us. 
it keeps us stuck and it takes root in our self-worth because we think it's us at an identity level. So yeah, those are the four R's and you can spend so much time on these, right? This is only chapter two, but when you (laughs) go back in your life and you really think through all these moments, a lot of us, and this is equal, whether you are a man, a woman, a CEO, a creator, any of that, we don't realize we're letting some of these things that happened in baseball in high school or the time we auditioned to be a pro athlete and totally sabotage the whole thing or the time we took a chance and it didn't go well. We let these things take root often at an identity level and then they hurt our self-worth. And so unlearning the lies that they are that they have anything to do with how worthy you are. Um, is such a, a beautiful process to go through. I love this that second section where you're talking like it's unlearning lies. Mm. Uh, it's very very powerful concept because there and you know I'll, I'll just um, share a couple here. I'm deep into the book. I'm on page 53 here, looking at the four R's. But uh, let's go back to the table of contents here, just like so okay, unlearning um, things like the lie is. I should only be seen when I'm happy. I don't deserve better. Don't wait on your weight. Do I have any? I don't have anything special to offer. I need to please them in order for them to love me. Like these are things that are, if you know, at first glance, they're lies that are actually really easy to believe, especially in a culture where information moves quickly and we don't get to see people grow and change around us. We're just meeting people for the first time, and they, like you said, they might not be connected to your destiny, and you get you get a lot of these lies presented to you every day. So there's some sort of, um, like you said, I think the right frame is unlearning, which is a very, very powerful concept. Uh, My dear friend, Brene Brown articulates this in a real clear way. She She says, if you go through life looking for proof that you do not belong, you will find it. Yes. You will find it because it's it's everywhere. And so the opposite, yes. like unlearning these lies that have been told or these beliefs, whether they're external and as you point out at length in your book here, like the ones that's, that sadly we actually start to believe, it's not an insignificant thing to unlearn them. And you've given us a really, really beautiful framework here. There's another mm-hmm. framework, which I think is, uh, I wanted to get your comment on. And that is the idea that self-doubt has probably already cost each of us yes. a whole lot and that there's some value actually in looking back at this. Tell us more about that. What do you mean? Yeah. You know, when we, we were talking a little earlier about how we're, you know, wired to avoid pain at all costs. And um, I love reframing things uh, in a whole different way because a lot of times we have self-doubt because, or, or we hold ourselves back because we want to avoid pain. We want to avoid putting ourselves out there and failing. We want to avoid all the things, right? We, we, uh, we want to play it safe. We want to dim our light. We want to, you know, uh, not get judged, not risk someone not loving us back, all the things. Um, and, and so we we're doing that to avoid pain, potential pain. But when we flip this around and say, well, wait a minute, what is self-doubt? already cost us in our lives? What does it cost us in our career? What does it cost us in the creation of putting our offerings out into the world? What does it cost us in every area of our life? Usually, I mean, for me, most of my life, the answer is way too much, way too much. 
And when we flip it and we think, what does self-doubt already cost me? And then take it to the next level and say, well, what is it going to cost me if I don't change? Mm. The pain of that, that's the pain a, of that. A, that's a long list and a big, right? Yeah, it's a big thing. <laughs> big scary and the shit. Pain of the, yeah, scary shit. And the pain of that is actually worse than the pain of, you know what? I'm putting my art out there. <laughs> it is okay if no one likes it. <laughs> the the pain of regret and what what will it cost me if I don't change? So when we focus on that, it's not fun, but it actually can be this beautiful tool that helps us get unstuck and just make the decision, like make the decision to show up as who we truly are, to say what we truly mean, to do our art or our business or ideas authentic to how we feel, not just what the consensus is telling us, right? Like, like all of those things. Um, so I love, I love flipping things around that way and, and understanding how our minds work, because I think if we don't, right. So, so you mentioned doing, you know, 20 years of work and, and, and having your definition of, you know, uh, they just don't know. And, 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 and look at, you know, and there's a million other reasons why you are so successful and why people come to you uh, for your show, for your book, for everything else you're putting out in the world. It's like, it, it's like, I really believe that saying success leaves clues. And mm-hmm. I also believe uh, it's almost never an accident when, when, when people are successful in what they do. And, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown, who's just incredible. And I talk about one thing she shared in worthy, actually, I talk about, cause there's a chapter called circle or cage mm-hmm. and it goes into, are the people around you a circle or a cage? And of course there's some people that we just want to keep in our life. Cause they're our second cousin and we are raised around him and we don't want to give up on them. But when we, when we're around him, we dim our light, we, you know, all the things. And I talk about how to build a, you know, an inner circle, an outer circle, how to know if your circle feels more like a cage. Anyhow, one of many tools in the book, but she talks about this idea of candle blower outers and how she's taught her kids to just be aware of, uh, and by the way, I've never met her just, uh, oh, just think she's what? amazing. Yeah, I never oh met gosh. her. I just think she's amazing. Oh uh, gosh, but she's when I read this, I just thought this was such a powerful example that she shared that she teaches her kids uh, uh, to just be aware of if people around them are candle blower outers, meaning they're trying to shine their flame brightly. And some people just don't like the light of that or can't handle it. Or they their energy blows out your flame, right? Or they convince you your flame is not worth shining. And, um, and I just think it was such a beautiful example because I think that's a whole nother important tool as well, because energy is contagious as surrounding yourself with, with people. And, and, and why this came to mind, by the way, is because I think of the person listening to your show and why they're listening to your show and how it's so beautiful that for some of us, our circle might be two people, or it might be five people, and it might be a person we've only listened to their show and never met, mm-hmm. but that is a powerful person in our circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's that. just so yeah. Im- important to, to learn to build that also um, on our journey to, to worthiness. So, yeah. I love the fact that, what I mean, what, what's this? I think the math is something like the average American, I think it is an American city. The average American has less than one. So 0.9 mm-hmm. 
of a person a, a person that they consider that they're close with like that's crazy right in this in this world and this is in part why choosing the people that we let in being open to be hurt as you as you talked about sort of this vulnerability and the willingness to continue to put yourself out there and separate the you know rejecting of you from the rejecting of your idea or this is not my time or not their time for me right now or god wrote me out of their script on purpose <laughs> like all these things are so so important um this idea of the inner circle and the outer cage yeah i'm wondering do you is there anything else another tool um I had a, another flag here in my book. I'm looking at the digital version. Give me a second here. Um, there is that. Do you see you? Mm. This part in in transforming. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about, do you see you? What do you mean mm. by that? Perfect segue to what you were just saying about how yeah. most people only have you know, under one person in their life that they're close to. And what ends up happening is that we show up as someone we're not as our representative and who we need to be. And we, you know, it's impossible to have an authentic connection with another human being, whether it is a friend, a partner, your customers, the, your community online. Uh, it's impossible to show up and have a true authentic connection unless you're showing up as who you truly are. And a lot of people are not showing up that way because they yeah. believe these lies mm -hmm. that I need to please them in order to love me. If I stand out, I'll get kicked out. If I'm me, I won't be loved. I'm an imposter and not enough on my own. And they all have us showing up in these ways where we're disconnected from who we truly are. Mm -hmm. We no longer actually see who we truly are. And we're just trying to be who we think people need us to be. And we're lonelier than ever. And we're not having true, meaningful connections with people we can really trust. So this chapter, Do You See You, is all about, you know, I I open it with a story of uh, how I was in a hotel in London, a brand new renovated hotel, uh, and uh, and uh, launching a cosmetics into the UK and Selfridge is there getting ready for this big launch and the fire alarm goes off and I'm like, you know, we're used to fire alarms going off. It's usually a drill or something like that. And I remember calling down to the front desk. They're like, oh, it's, you know, it's nothing. Don't worry. I'm like, okay. And it kept going off, kept going off, kept going off. Uh, and uh, called down again, eventually, several minutes later. And I'm just getting ready. Um, and a good friend of mine was in the room with me, also getting ready for this big event. Um, my husband had left and he was out getting a sandwich. And my assistant was in another room on the same floor. All of a sudden I call down again and the person answers the phone screaming at the front desk. It's a fire. It's a fire. Get out, get out. And I remember this moment where I realized like, where am I? Okay. I'm on the seventh floor. I went and looked out the, I'm like, it's too high to jump. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I remember I go out the uh, door of the hotel room. And I look down the hall and I see where the elevator banks are and the whole floor is filled with smoke. The whole floor, like going up like 10 inches, 12 inches off the floor, filled with smoke. I had never seen anything like this. Like this looked like a movie to me. And I remember uh, freaking out, first of all, but then I instantly went into survival mode, almost where I disassociated from my body completely. 
And I remember I went and grabbed my laptop, which I have no idea why I did that. I should have grabbed my shoes, but I grabbed my laptop. I got my friend and I'm like, we need to get out now. And then I remember getting to the hallway and, and just going up and down the hallway. I could not go to the elevators and there were no stairs. There was no stairs and there was no fire escape. We could see anywhere. There were elevator banks. And my guess is the stairs were on the other side. Uh, there was nowhere. And I just remember people screaming, running up and down the hall. My friend I was with, she froze completely. And I just went into this like disassociated state where I felt nothing uh, except I have to figure this out. And uh, we got to the end of a hall and there was a window and I opened it and I realized there was an outdoor scaffolding down the side of the building that was basically like this metal grate kind of a fire escape. So I climb out barefoot. We all start climbing out and we're kind of going down this metal grate seven flights. And we get to the very bottom of this construction rubble. We ended up in this construction rubble um, barefoot and just like got out to the street. Uh, and there was just, I don't know, thousands of onlookers watching the whole top of the Mandarin Oriental in London, just on fire. It was brand, brand, brand um, newly renovated. And I got to the street and it was at that moment, I actually realized what was happening. And I came out of disassociation and I just looked at my friend and we both just started sobbing and just like grabbing each other because it was such a scary moment. And I talk about the story and how in that particular moment, when I needed to figure out how to survive, disassociation was really helpful because normally I'm like, useful. Yes. yes. And normally I'm, I'm such an empath. And when someone is upset, I feel it deeply. And for whatever reason, in this moment, people were screaming all around me and it did not like I was able to focus and go, how can I find an escape? Um, and my friend had a different response. She completely froze and, and, and we all had different responses in the moment. And, but what I realized later was while that was helpful, then most of us live our lives disassociated and yeah. almost numb or numbing out in yeah. things that sometimes we call badges of, of honor, like busyness or uh, uh, scrolling social or any of the other things. And we, a lot of us have gotten to a point where we're so disconnected from who we are that we don't even see who we are. And yet we're lonelier than ever. And so I go through this whole process of how to see, how to see yourself um, and see your own beauty and your own power and your own enoughness. And I go through a lot of tools in that chapter on how to do that, because that is also the first step on then how do you see another person and how do we all collectively feel less alone and more enough? Mm. I will also add this little brilliant um, cherry on top of this amazing Sunday of a book that you've given us here in Worthy. And it reminds us that Worthy doesn't end here. Mm. And thank you again for writing this book. Believe it, the last time you were on the show, it was very, very popular. And it helped us understand a little bit more about pursuing our dreams and believing in ourselves. And I think it's also very vulnerable and powerful to reveal that you and all of your success um, that you can still have the wisdom that sort of internal compass to understand that I like the, the term ceiling that you're sort of your potential is capped by 
what you know what you believe your self-worth is and it's just very extraordinarily rare and brave for someone to be able to recognize that who has again done as much as you have so thank you and then thank you for providing a path out of this for so many people i believe that's one of the reasons i wanted to have you back on the show because i think this is a powerful work that's going to actually do what you uh intend here and it's just a, a long-winded thanks it's mm. it's it's overdue in our culture to have a little roadmap out of this and um it's a powerful book that you've written um thank you very much genuinely thank you thank you so much thank you for this conversation thank you for helping me get worthy out into the world you know i'm donating all the proceeds this is really just a my greatest passion like i really truly am so excited for everyone to get their hands on this and can't wait for them to share with you chase and hopefully hey. they, they share with me as well just how it's impacted them because we're all in this one beautiful life together so yeah I love the concept of victory laps too. There's another chapter about that. So let's let's uh, let's start doing some victory laps before your launch because I know it's going to be so successful. Um, is there anywhere else you want to direct us, uh, our attention, the audience? We're very good at buying books and supporting authors around their launch, um, but I always want to know if there's anywhere else that you feel like we should be paying attention to you and your work. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I, I did this entire workbook that's totally free. It goes with it. Um, it's on worthybook.com. And that's also where it shows all the independent bookstores that carry worthy. Um, so yeah, worthybook.com is great. And then um, I'm on jamiekernlima.com and so excited to launch my own show coming out, which is really exciting. The Jamie Kern Lima show would love to have you on. And so yeah, jamiekernlima.com is great. Um, and Instagram at Jamie Kern Lima, YouTube at Jamie Kern Lima, all the stuff. <laughs> you Chase got them Jarvis all. Fan Club, Chase Jarvis right. Fan Club. You can find me there, all the places. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a guest. You're always welcome here, Jamie. And until next time, from Jamie, myself, uh, and our journeys to recognize our worth and that you are worthy out there in the world. Thank you so much. And we bid you a great, great day. Until next time. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests, either on social media or through my text community, all of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing the show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. Mm -hmm.